We'll turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 22. We're continuing, of course, our study of the life of David. When you think about it, we saw 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel had Samuel and Saul, the first king. David is in 2 Samuel. We'll look at the first 11 chapters of 1 Kings. We see the life of Solomon. But our focus right now is David. David is a man after God's own heart. We love him. But if you look at this book, chapters 1 through 10, we said David in triumph. It was fantastic. Everything David did was good. He united the nation. He defeated the enemies. Everything was great. And then in chapter 11, he had the sexual sin with Bathsheba, and it just felt like everything went to pieces. David was in trouble the rest of the way. He had rebellion out of his sons, rebellion in the nation, and just all kind of things. Children, I mean, it was just a terrible, terrible time. But David was called a man after God's own heart because he never stopped. He, never, he, he confessed his sin, he dealt with it, and that's what he's done. He's done a great things. We, we realize that, I mentioned it last week, chapters 21, 22, 23, and 24, that's the last chapters, are not necessarily in chronological order. In fact, our chapter this morning, you're going to find that this probably even was written before David became king, and we'll see it. So this morning, we're seeing a song, chapter 22, it's a song of David. Now, if you've read your Bible a lot, you may realize that this is the same as Psalm 18. So David wrote Psalm 18, and then the writer of Samuel, and we don't know who wrote Samuel. There's some people who say Samuel wrote Samuel, but Samuel died a long time ago in this, so we don't think Samuel wrote it. Most likely, it may have been Nathan who was the prophet. He may have been the one to write this. Anyway, they took the Psalm that David wrote, Psalm 20, you know, 18, and they put it here in 2 Samuel chapter 22. So as you read this today, if you understand or if you know Psalm 18, this is almost exactly the same. And let me just give you a preview. David gets into trouble, and the enemy's about to kill him. He calls on God, and God delivers him. That's what the Psalm is about. We're not going to be able to see the whole thing because it's 50-something verses. We'll see part of it today. But let me, let me just <clears throat> give you some questions. First of all, who do we go to in times of trouble? Because <clears throat> we're going to have trouble. If you just live on this earth, there are going to be trouble. There are going to be physical things. There are going to be spiritual things. There's going to be families. There's going to be other people. There's going to be all kinds of things coming in your life. Who do you go to in times of trouble? Do you know the character of God? Because we're going to see what David says about God, and he tells us about the character of God, and how does that affect David's life and our lives? And then, are we making known to this community the God who saves? Because that's who he is. And so we'll see it as we go through this. Well, many of you are too young to remember Bob Hope. Bob Hope was a comedian, and he had a theme song, and it was called Thanks for the Memories. And when you think about memories, you know, uh, in our lives, we sit back and we start thinking about memories. And we say, wow, I remember when that happened or this happened. And usually we remember the good things because we say things like the good old days. And we don't always remember the bad things or the sad things. But in our lives, there are memories. And in the Bible, God has a way for us to remember things that he has done. And, and think about this. In the Old Testament, he had Passover. Passover, the nation of Israel came out of Egypt. They killed a Passover, they killed a lamb, came out, and were delivered. And every year after that, Jewish people, even up to this day, they celebrate Passover. They remember how God delivered them from Egypt. A pile of rocks, when they were going into the promised land, when they crossed the Jordan River, it went dry. It just stopped. They went across, they picked up stones, and they piled them up, and then they put some other stones in the riverbed, and they said, we're going to remember this is where we crossed into the promised land. Think about the New Testament. We have the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, do this in what? Remembrance of me. And so every time we have the body and the blood and we think about it, we're remembering the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And then here's one, the baptism. 
When you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, you're saved and you have eternal life. Baptism is your testimony showing other people. So it's a memorial. What you're really saying is, I want everybody to know that I believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, so I'm going to get baptized so everybody can see my identification with Christ. Well, this, this song of David, we call it Psalm 18, Song, which is in 2 Samuel 22, is really a song that he wrote remembering how God delivered him how God saved him. And when we talk about saving, we're not talking about eternal life salvation. I want you to understand something. When you look in the Old Testament and you see the word salvation or saved, almost every time it's dealing with physical deliverance. It's rarely used in the Old Testament, the word salvation, for eternal life salvation. Just look at that. So be careful because a lot of times every time people see the word salvation, they automatically think eternal life salvation, but it's mostly physical deliverance. And this is what we're going to see. Think about this. Moses wrote a song after they crossed the Red Sea. He wrote a song. And did you know his sister Miriam, she wrote a song. It was two lines, a little bitty song. And now David has written a song. Now, remember, this is not chronological. So this is not at the end of David's life. You're going to find that this happened and he wrote this song before he was ever king. So this is just put in here so that we would see it. And, and it's a praise song. David writes a song. It's a song of thanksgiving of what God has done for him. And, and let, let me read something to you. Watch this. This is Psalm 18, verse 1. Look what it says. It says, for the choir director. And that, I mean, it was a song written for the choir director. A psalm of David, which is a song of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day <clears throat> that the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, I love you, Lord. Now, look at 2 Samuel chapter 22, look at verse 1. Notice what it says. And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. It's the same thing. So what, what we see is this is Psalm 18, Put it 2 Samuel 22, it's David's song. And we're going to look at it carefully. It's going to take two weeks, I just say it. Look at this. It's long. It's 50-something verses, 51 verses. We're going to see David talks about the song, and then we see God's description. David gets in trouble. We see how God saves David, and then we see the end of it. And it's fantastic because it's for our encouragement. That's why God put it here. And so think about this. David writes this early in his life, I think before he's a king, and he talks about how God saved him from his enemies. And so we're going to look at it, and I think you'll gain a lot from it. So let, let's start. We're going to start with the introduction. And I want you to notice, look again at verse 1. It says, and David spoke the words of this song to the Lord. Now notice, he wrote the song to the Lord. In the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. I want you to look at something. There was victory. He wrote this because he was victory over his enemies and delivered from Saul. Now, you've got to read it carefully because look at this. Saul is not listed as David's enemy. He said, God delivered him from all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. David never considered Saul his enemy. You understand that? You remember Saul tried to kill David over and over and over, and every time David got a chance to kill him, he wouldn't do it. And when Saul got killed in battle with Jonathan, David wrote a song about him, and all he did was brag on Saul. David never considered Saul his enemy. And even in this psalm, it says, this is a song to the Lord who delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and also from the hand 
of Saul. We don't know when this was. It could have been when David was hiding out with the Philistines and they tried to kill him. It could have been a time that David was running from enemies and Saul almost caught him. Uh, and you know, So we just don't know. We don't know when he wrote this, but he's writing how God saved him. And, and uh, it's beautiful. Notice again, he says, And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord, to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hands of his enemies and the hands of Saul. So David writes this song. David wrote this song as thanksgiving and praise to God who delivered him and gave him victory. Now, let me ask you something. Has God ever delivered you? Has God ever done something great for you? Has he ever protected you before? Have you looked back and said, oh, Lord, thank you. I don't know what I do. Or have you ever lifted up some prayer requests and say, Lord, help me? And he does. Do we remember to thank him? David wrote a song. You know, what we often do is we say, uh, something happened, we pray, oh, God, help me, help me. Get me through. And then it happens and we, we forget it. And then we come back and next time something happens, we say, oh, Lord, help me. And he says, well, last time I helped you, you didn't even write me a song. You didn't do anything, you know? And what should we do? We should say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you do. So here's David writing a song to God because God delivered him, kept him from getting killed. That's what it's really all about. So he's going to start with a description of God. I think this is very important because sometimes when people start saying, what do you think God's like? David talks about God. Look at this, verse 2 and 3. He said, and he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. Now, he gives a description of God. And this is what he says. And look at it. Look at this. It's rock, fortress, deliver. Lord. When he says rock, he means the foundation. That's where Jesus said, build your house on the rock. And, and he's a fortress. And this is a, a place of protection and security. He says, you're my deliverer. The one who, listen, the deliverer here is talking about a physical deliverance. David is about to get killed by somebody. We don't know who. And he writes this song because he calls out to God and God saves him. He's called the Lord. And in verse three, he's the rock and the refuge. He's the shield and the protection. He's the horn of salvation. He's the stronghold. He's the refuge. He's my savior who saves me. That's what David says. Do you see God as your rock and your refuge? Where do you go when the trials come and the problems come in your life and it's overwhelming and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go and you don't know what's going to happen and maybe you go to the doctor and you don't get a good report or maybe something happens at work or maybe something happens at school or maybe something happens in your family. Where are you going to go? You got to go to the rock. You got to go to the one who is your protection. You got to go to the one who is your refuge and that's who he is. He's, as David said, he's my savior. He's the one who saves me. In fact, notice it says, my savior, you save me from violence. He's not talking about eternal life salvation. David's already believed in, God, in, in the Messiah for the salvation of eternal life. He's talking about a physical deliverance here. And he says, God saves me. And think about this. Where do we go when the things come? And you may say, oh, I'm, I'm okay. No, you're not okay. None of us are Okay. We're all fallen people. We all need each other. We all need God. You can't make it without each other, and you sure can't make it without God. He is your strength and your shield. So David says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my refuge, my shield, my salvation, my, my stronghold. You're my Savior. Now, so what does he do? The next verse. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. I call upon the name of the Lord. I cry out to help, and he is worthy. 
to be praised. Now listen, the call upon the name of the Lord is found in about 60 places in the whole Bible. Mostly Old Testament, a few places New Testament. Look at it carefully. A lot of people say you call upon the name of the Lord for eternal life. Every place in the scripture that it says, I will call upon the name of the Lord or I will call on the Lord, it's for a physical deliverance every time. I had a friend named Joshua Milligan. He was here a long time ago, and he went on to Dallas Seminary, became a pastor. I think he's living in Tulsa now. He, while he was here, he was one of my interns, and he sat down, and he went through every place in the Bible that it says, call upon the name of the Lord, call upon the Lord. I will call out his name. I will just, Every place, including Romans 10, every place deals with a physical deliverance. So remember that. And so he's saying, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And what happens? I am saved from my enemies. You know, there used to be a song. I, don't, I, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So I will be saved from my enemies. That was a song. And it was actually biblical because it was exactly out of here. And a lot of people say, well, I call upon the name of the Lord for eternal salvation. There's no place in the scripture you call upon the name of the Lord for eternal salvation. You believe in him for eternal salvation. But we'll talk more about that at another time. But anyway, he says, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. Well, who are his enemies? Well, we know that Saul's not the enemy here because he's kind of separated out, but he's saved from his enemies. Apparently, I think it was the Philistines. I think it was early in his life. I think some members of the time he went down, he lived with the Philistines at Ziklag. They tried to kill him a couple of times. There were times he was running for his life and he's fighting against the Philistines and fighting against everything. And so he says, I call upon Lord and I am saved. Who was our enemy? Who's your enemy? The world, the flesh, the devil. We live in a fallen world that is overseen, that is controlled by the devil. And the world affects, the devil affects our world and the world affects our flesh. That's our enemies. We're not wrestling against people. We wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against world powers and wicked forces, spiritual darkness. Some people say, well, that guy, I hate him. He's the enemy. He's not the enemy. People aren't the enemy. They're fooled and they're confused and they're wrong, but they're not the enemy. The enemy is Satan, who controls the fallen world, who then affects our flesh. So daily, how are we going to go through this life? We call upon the name of the Lord. He is our strength. He is our shield. He is our fortress. We must trust our lives to God. So then David tells about what happened and look what he says, verse 5. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. He says, I was about to die. Death was coming. Sheol means the place of the dead. So when he says, the waves of death were getting me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. He says, I was about to die. I looked out and there was enemies everywhere. They were about to kill me. I was about to die. It was, it was almost over. And then what does he say? In my distress... I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God. And from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry for help came into his ears. He said, I called upon the Lord in the midst of a problem. Let me ask you something. Who do you call to when you have a problem? Who do you go to when there's issues? Who do you go to when you get a bad report? Who do you go to when things just fall apart in front of you? You go to the one who's able to save you. You go to the one who is your strength and shield. He says, I called upon the Lord. He heard me. 
I cried to God. He heard me from his temple. And he's talking about, he said, they looked and realized that there's a temple in heaven, just like they later built the temple on the earth, same, same dimension, same everything. And he says, he heard me. He heard my cry for help. What are you going to do when everything falls apart? And you may say, well, it has never fallen apart. And it's probably not going to ever fall apart. Well, hang on. It's going to fall apart. Sometimes things don't turn out the way we want them to be. Sometimes there's some sad things that happen. Sometimes there's hard things that happen. What are you going to do? Who are you going to turn to? David said, I was in trouble, and I called on God, and he heard me. Now, these next verses, God's coming. You're going to like this, because he's coming. Watch what it says. Verse 8, then the earth shook and quaked, and the foundations of the heaven were trembling, and they were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went out of his nostrils, fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew, and he appeared on the wings of the wind. That's him coming. Now listen, that's called anthropomorphism, which means you give attributes to God, human attributes, because he doesn't have nostrils, Right? His nostrils and from his mouth came smoke and fire. He doesn't have a mouth, but it's saying he's coming to judge. He's coming to deliver. He's coming. In fact, it says he rode on a cherub. You know what a cherub is? That's one of those angels. In fact, when it says he appeared on the wings of wind, the word for wind in Hebrew is ruah. It has sometimes spirit. It could be a spirit being. It could be angels. It's saying that God is coming and he's coming to deliver. He's coming to say, that's what he's doing. He says, death was coming, but the power, what did David, I called upon the Lord and he's appearing, he's coming. It's the power of God and he's coming to save. Have you ever called upon him and he took care of you? I have. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what to do. You got to do something and he does it. It may not have been what I thought he was gonna do, but he does it. And every one of us in this room, there've been times in our lives when we're at the end of the rope and we call upon the Lord. Let me just tell you something. Don't get to the end of the rope to call upon him. Call upon him anytime. And so he's coming to save. Look what he says, verse 12. And he made the darkness canopies around him, a thick mass of water, thick clouds of the sky. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. I love this next verse. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. Wow. That's pretty powerful. Would you say that's powerful? You know, God does that. Sometimes he just, he comes and he thunders and he doesn't, if you remember, there was a time that the Israelites were about to battle an enemy. I think it was the Moabites or the Midianites and they were going to battle them and, and they had a very small number as compared to the army. And God said, just stand here, don't do anything. And when they looked, the army, the opposing army began to attack and killed each other. And the Israelites didn't have to do one thing. See, they called upon God and said, God, what are we going to do? How can we fight this enemy? He said, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And sometimes we say, Lord, what am I supposed to do? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about this. And he says, I'll take care of it. Lord, help me. I'll take care of it. Look what he says. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. The channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were laid bare by the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. And he's using all this terminology to show you that God is coming in his power. You ever felt that way, that you see evil in the world, and you say, God, just why don't you do something about those, about that? Those people are doing this evil stuff. Why don't you do something? That's what we think sometimes. And he could say, just give me time. 
I'm working it out according to my plan. But David said, these enemies, they're surrounding me. They're about to kill me. They're going to do something. And God says, I'm coming. I'm coming. And I'm coming to deal with it. And what is so great, that God is a God who delivers us. God delivers. Look at verse 15. He sent out the arrows and he lightened and routed them and the channels of the sea appeared and he did all of this. He, he takes care of us. He delivers. And notice, notice the deliverance of this. He says, and this is verse 17. He sent from on high and he took me and he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. He says, he took me from on high. He took me. See, he comes and he delivers. And we don't know what it was like. We don't know whether David fought and, and just supernaturally was able to defeat these people or whether God had them run off or God had them fight themselves. We don't know. But David was surrounded, about to die. He called upon God, and God came, and he said, you sent me from on high. You got me out of there. You delivered me from my strong enemies, from those who hated me, and they're too strong for me. See, we have to realize that we're not fighting the devil in a fallen world system. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. We're not fighting the devil. Jesus fights the devil. We draw him. We put on the armor of God and stand. If you read the armor of God carefully, it's all defensive. Put on the armor of God and stand. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Resist the devil. How do you resist the devil? By drawing near to God, and he will flee from you. In the battles in this world, Jesus Christ is the victor. He takes us and takes care of us. And, and, and realize, we're in a spiritual battle. The world, the flesh, the devil, we're all fallen. We're all come short of the glory of God. How does he save us? Think about this. First of all, in the whole eternal life perspective, he came, he died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, and gives us the gift of eternal life. But as a believer, there's spiritual battles everywhere. The enemy is, is a spiritual enemy. I did a study several, it's been two or three years now, in SBI, on angels and demons. If you've never looked at angels and demons, amazing how many references in the Bible to these spirit beings. And there are good angels and bad angels. The bad angels we use all demons. But there are angels that serve God and serve us. And then there are bad angels who hate us. And the leader of the bad angels is Satan. And so we're in a spiritual battle. And then sometimes he actually deals with us in a physical way. He delivers us. You've known people who are sick, and people say, I don't know if they're going to ever get well, because, I mean, they say, and, and then God heals them. He can do anything he wants to anytime he wants to. It may not be his plan, but sometimes it is. So he is our Savior. He is our Deliverer. In the battles of life, that's who we go to in the same way. That's what David said. That's who I go to. And look, verse 19, they... They confronted me in the day of my calamity. That's the enemy confronted us. But what did he say? But, look at the contrast, the Lord was my support. God takes care of me. God takes care of me. And we go out these doors, you, you sometimes feel by yourself. You sometimes feel all alone. You feel like that nobody really knows what you're going through and nobody really cares what you're going through and it's a battle and you don't know what's going to happen at school. You don't know what's happening at work. You don't know what's happening in your marriage. You don't know what's going to happen with your kids. Your kids don't know what's going to happen to them. Nobody knows. And who do you, can you turn to? You've got one that loves you beyond what you could imagine. He is your strength and shield. He is your fortress. He is that everything that you need and you can call upon him. And when the enemy confronts you, the Lord 
is your support. I love this next verse. Look what it says. He also brought me forth into a broad place. He rescued me. Now, I'm going to stop right here because I'm going to read the second half of the verse in just a second. He says, he brought me forth into a broad place place. A broad place means a place of safety. It's like, don't get too close to the edge, you'll fall off. No, no, no. Get over here. It's big. It's a big, broad area. You're safe right here. That's what a broad place is. He says, he took me out of the danger and put me in a safe place. And that's what God does. Now, this next part may surprise you a little bit because you could say this. Why did God deliver David when he cried out to him? I mean, he's the king of Israel, and enemies come, God gives the victory. Why? Look what David says in verse 20 again. He also brought me forth into a broad place. He rescued me. Why? Because he delighted in me. You know what David says? God took care of me because he really likes me. <laughs> Does he like you? He loves you beyond what you could imagine. His love never changes. It's an unchanging love that, that will never end. So he loves us. But here's something that may surprise you. Look what David says. Verse 21. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. Wait a minute, what? He says, God has taken care of me and rewarded me because of my righteousness. David says, I'm righteous. Well, what's he talking about? How does this fit? Let me show you something if you've never understood this. There are two aspects of righteousness. There's what we call the imputed righteousness of God. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, you have his righteousness. When David believed God, just like Abraham believed God, it was credited to him for righteousness. David did the same thing. He believed God. He believed about the Messiah, and it was credited to him for righteousness. So every believer has imputed righteousness of God. It is his perfection. And so every one of you in this room, if you have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you have God's imputed righteousness. But David went on to say, and he said, he said, uh, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands. And David says, I have experiential righteousness. I've lived by the Bible. I've tried to do what God wanted me to do. I tried to live and be a godly man. And so I want you to think about our lives. We have two aspects of, of righteousness. We get righteousness by faith. It's called imputed righteousness. It comes by faith, Romans 4, 5, to him who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited for righteousness. So as I said a while ago, every one of us in this room, if you have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, you have God's righteousness. You're righteous. But then there's the Christian life righteousness. It's called experiential righteousness. It's our state. It's how we live. Ephesians 4 says, walk worthy of the calling which you've been called. We're called children of God. We're to live out as children of God. We're to be righteous and godly in our present lives. That comes throughout the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But we're supposed to live righteously. So you have God's imputed righteousness, and then you have your own experiential righteousness. And that's what I think David is saying. David's saying, you've rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. Look what he goes on to say. I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I've not acted wickedly against God. For all his ordinances were before me, and for his statutes, I did not depart from them. You know what David is saying? I obeyed the Bible. I lived for God. I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. And when the trouble came, I called upon God, and he saved me. 
And he saved me because I'm righteous in, in, in the fact that he gave me righteousness, but he also saved me because I'm trying to live a good life. I'm trying to live righteously for God and to do the things he wants me to do. And look at the next verse. I was blameless toward him and I kept myself from iniquity. What does that mean? Blameless. Blameless doesn't mean he didn't sin. See, under the Mosaic law, you could be blameless. That means that when you sinned, whenever you broke any of the Mosaic law, you offered the correct sacrifices to cover the sin and you were called blameless. We can be blameless today, meaning that when you sin and the moment you recognize your sin, what do you do? What are you supposed to do when you sin? Confess it. He says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're blameless in that way. So David says, I was blameless because I obeyed God. And the same for us as well. And then he went on to say, therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanliness before his eyes. He says, God has protected me and also blessed me. Now, God blesses people who live righteously and godly. That is, that is the truth. Sometimes we don't think about it that way. We know that God is great. Everybody sins. We've come short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. We believe in Jesus. He gives us eternal life. We're saved forever. But as we live the Christian life, he, the, the Bible basically says, whatever you sow, you reap. If you sow to the flesh, there's corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, there's life. And so, bottom line, there's the, that. And he explains that. Look what he says in the next two verses. He says, with the kind, you show yourself kind. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. With the perverted, you show yourself astute. What he's saying is this, that that sowing and reaping, if you're kind, he shows you kindness. If you're blameless, he gives you, he makes you blameless. If you're pure, he shows with your purity. If you're perverted, he deals with you in a shrewd way because what he wants them to understand is they're not getting away with sin. See, people who sin think they're getting away with it, but he says, you're not getting away with it. Nobody gets away with it. So God deals with us, and David says, God deals with us. Now look at verse 28, because that's the last one for today. Look what he says. And you save an afflicted people, but your eyes are on the haughty whom you abase. Now this is a great truth from the Bible. God lifts up the humble and takes down the proud. God lifts up the humble and takes down to the proud. Think about Jesus. He humbled himself to be obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly what? Exalted him and give him a name above every name. The Bible says that if you want to be exalted, you have to humble yourself. Satan, in pride, lifted up himself, exalted himself, and God had to humble him. Adam and Eve in the garden, what did they say? We're going to be like God. And God had to humble them. Pride always lifts up. Humility always takes down. God says, if you want to be lifted up, you have to be humble. You save the afflicted people, but, you, but your eyes are on the haughty. That's the, the prideful. God delivered David because he belongs to God, and he's living righteously. Sin brings pain and suffering. Righteousness brings joy, deliverance, and blessing. Now, we're not but halfway through this psalm, but what have we seen? We've seen David says, listen, I wrote a song to God because he's my rock, he's my fortress, he's everything. Because see, I got into trouble. 
uh, enemy came against me, and I called upon Lord, and he saved me. See, what happened is I called upon Lord because I was surrounded by this enemy, and I called upon God, and he came, and it's like fire came, and thunder came, and he came in his power and his majesty, and he defeated my enemies, and he put me in a safe place, and he took care of me. And what are we going to do when the trials come in our lives and the problems come? We're not through. There's still a lot of good stuff in the rest of this song. But let's think about this. Let's remember, as we think about our applications, let's remember who God is and what he has done. Think about him. He's the rock. Whoops. He's the rock. He's the fortress. He's the shield. He's the foundation. He's everything for us. What did he do? He saves and delivers. He gives strength. That's who he is. And so what do we do? He, we realize he's our rock and our protection, and we can call upon him. Remember who he is. As you go through life, as we go out these doors, there are going to be issues. There are going to be problems. There's going to be ups and downs as you go through life. Who do you go to? You have to go to him. He is your rock. He is your fortress. He is your shield. He is your foundation. And you have to call upon him. And that's number two. Let's call to God in the times of trouble. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. He says, you just let me know. Let me know what's going on in your life. If you need me, call me. That's what I'm for. He'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? We can do all things through the one who strengthens him, that strengthens us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. He delivers. He delivers salvation simply by faith for eternal life. Daily, day in and day out, day by day, he takes care of us. And then last but not least, let's examine our lives. And let's think about it. Are we righteous? Righteous by faith? When you, every one of us in this room, if you have believed in Christ for eternal life, you have his imputed righteousness. Do you know that if you went to the record book right now, and it says sin. How many sins you got on your record book? How many? Absolutely none. Jesus Christ has already taken every sin of every person and put it on himself. If you're a believer, you know what you got on the page? It says perfectly righteous, the righteousness of God. You have that on your account. Imputed righteousness. Well, what about the Christian life? Well, we live by faith, and this is experiential righteousness. Are we like David, who says, I obeyed the Bible, I'm blameless, I did this, I kept the scripture, I kept the ordinances, I did not act wickedly, I kept the ways of the Lord, therefore you have blessed me. As we go through life, day in and day out, we need to live righteously and godly in a fallen world, and God will bless us. So let's remember what he's done, he's our strength, he's our shield, he is our rock, he is our protection, and we want to live righteously and godly in a present present age, because we have his imputed righteousness, let's live out the experiential righteousness.